On this episode of AvTalk, Seth Miller joins the show to fill us in on what happened at this week's IATA annual general meeting. Countries and airlines continue to roll out vaccine mandates, and British Airways is bringing the A380s back sooner than it planned. Hello and welcome to episode 132 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz. Hello, Ian. How are you? Hello, Jason. I'm doing well. And today we are also joined by sometime... I don't even know what we're useful? getting close to giving. Well, always useful, but we're getting close <laughs> well, well, to well, he's to not give. saying anything we can't take back. I don't know if he's always useful. We're getting close to giving Seth a sandwich card as well. Ooh. Seth Miller joins us on this episode of the podcast. He is here to fill us in on everything that happened at the International Air Transport Association annual general meeting, or as I call it, I had to get a get a gum. I have never heard it described that way, but we can go with that, especially if it means, I, like, listen, if you're going to give me a sandwich card, I will accept everything else you say as <laughs> gospel. You're one punch closer to a blimpy sub. Sweet. Hey, guys, how's it going? So, so Seth, welcome. <laughs> you spent the week apparently with a German shepherd, which I think is the most important story that has come out of- uh, well, we'll have to explain AI, that one. AGM. But let's backtrack and talk about kind of the, what were some of the major themes of this year's IATA annual general yeah. meeting? So by way of setting the stage, the AGM or IATA GAGAM is the annual meeting that IATA represents almost all the airlines in the world, mostly smaller, newer or low cost carriers that are not part of it, but it represents a massive amount of the traffic, massive number of airlines. And the annual general meeting is basically an event where all the CEOs get together and vote to approve whatever they've already decided they're going to approve, you know, some months in advance and to not collude on any business decisions. And we are explicitly instructed to not collude multiple times during the event. So we can have to assume that that works very well. <laughs> they actually, they literally print out a document that says, please do not collude and put it on everybody's seat before this. Yeah, save starts. that for your transatlantic JVs. That's right. Where collusion is legal, or at least, a, you know, endorsed by the governments. So this year, but anyways, the theme this year, I will say, was basically the environmental impact of aviation. And as far as sort of major decisions go, the big deal and COVID, but as far as the major decisions that the industry came to, it was a commitment to, by IATA members, to be net zero on emissions by 2050. That's a pretty lofty goal. What was it the is. feeling in the room? Because I'm going to bet there were some people who said this is right on target since obviously they picked the date. Others are going to say this doesn't go far enough, while some others, particularly I think from China, were saying this goes too far because they had their own rules, I guess, plan in place. But was the consensus really that this seems like a viable plan? The consensus was that it was approved. And talking to IATA executives... They mostly seem to think it is viable with the caveat that it's going to depend heavily on sustainable aviation fuels being produced, and that depends on governments paying the, fair, the price difference between that and current regular kerosene. Without government subsidy, they do not expect it to – I shouldn't say they don't expect it to happen, but they were clear that they expect that the subsidy of the fuel costs is necessary in the short term to – 
ensure that sufficient volume is being produced. And we've seen this for a long time now. All discussions about SAFs has been that we need more of them, but it's very hard to convince people to pay for them. Airlines don't yeah. really want to because it's double to triple the price. And passengers if you know, also don't want to pay significantly more for their flights. So that's a challenge. I will say that everybody at IATA, they actually had a recorded video from the U.S. Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, introducing the sessions on Monday morning. And everybody at IATA was sort of like, yeah, didn't you hear the secretary's comments about how you know sustainable aviation fuels are going to be part of the plan and blah, blah, blah. It's really critical to this administration. And if you know the full 3.5 trillion 10-year plan was going to happen, it would be part of it. But we know now that there are cuts coming to that plan, and it is unclear if aviation-related SAF blending is going to stick around or not as a subsidy, and that could be a problem. So we still plan on getting somebody from the fuel industry to talk to us about SAFs. But for now, it kind of seems like this is really, really heavily dependent on individual countries subsidizing SAF development and availability. That's going to be a tall order to get every country to align on that, I feel like. did they? It doesn't have to be every country, but there needs to be enough of it out there. The goal is that by 2050, I think 65% of the planned reduction in emissions is from SAF. And then there's a couple. Part of it is new technologies, so more efficient planes. Part of it is alternate fuels. I think somewhere north of 20%, they're expecting to be either hydrogen or electric. And then they do still plan on carbon sequestration, so like carbon capture systems that will bottle it up and you know bury it somewhere deep in the desert. And believe it or not, some small percentage will still be sort of traditional tree planting offsets. So the, one of the other things that's sort of risky about the SAFs plan and United CEO Scott Kirby in this in a CEO panel on the second day or late on the first day, sorry, mentioned is that, you know, just saying we're going to do SAFs is great. But if they're corn or soy or soybean or palm oil based, you know, taking away stock that is otherwise used for food or other things, just planting that and then, you know, converting it isn't necessarily a great environmentally friendly solution. So it gets the job done in theory, but it does it in a way that doesn't entirely reduce the emissions the way that the industry probably should be. So I think that is going to be one of the really big challenges of what feedstocks are they going to use? What's going to be considered acceptable to get there? And I don't think IATA has fully adopted the Kirby approach there, but you know, it's sort of like the ethanol you know, E85 fuel in the States, right? Like if, you know, is that better? Well, we planted a whole lot of corn just to make gas and it's not like we could have had food or other things too. So there's some or not there. spent the energy trying to grow that much corn to turn it into gas. Right. Right. Yeah, and that's, yeah. Or in the case of palm oil, not like destroyed rainforests. So we have plots that we can put palm oil down. Right. So challenging to say the least. Yeah. I mean, I think I followed some of the sessions this week and what it seems to me is that we've gotten past the we need to do something about this phase that was there. I mean, even just a few years ago where there was a lot of, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea or, you know, the new technologies that are coming out, there's a lot of research going into that where there, it was a lot more platitudes. This seems 
a lot more problem solving focused if that's a way to to look at it yeah i do i would tend to agree i will say iata has sort of described some pathways and some sort of routes bad term to get there but has made also made clear it is not going to mandate what airlines do how quickly they do it or you know how they choose to get to that targets also it's an industry resolution but comes with no like punishment or enforcement, right? Like if 10 years from now, or worst case, 30 years from now, they didn't actually do it, right? Like the Chinese airlines did object, as Jason mentioned, to the 2050 deadline. They wanted it to be 2060, which is what China is really targeting. And when asked, and over their objections, it passed. When asked about that, I had a CEO and Director General Willie Walsh said, no, no, they're going to comply. Like every, it was approved. And so everybody in IATA now cooperates. We're a democratic organization. We voted. This is what was approved. But like, what if China Eastern doesn't? They're not going to kick them out of IATA. So right, they don't get a lollipop at the next meeting? I, I don't know. Wait, there were lollipops? Yeah, now that I I've said that, now that, I've said that I'm really, I really feel really badly because there weren't. And I'm a little annoyed now. I'm going to talk to someone <laughs> about that. So let's talk for a minute about someone you just mentioned, Willie Walsh, who was the, I believe, the CEO of, the, of IAG up until recently. The International Airline Group, British Airways, Iberia. I guess level a whole bunch of other airlines well, over Europe. Yeah. yeah, exactly. A lot of a lot of very large, well-known airlines. He had some things to say. Is this, I believe, it was his first AGM as was he president of IATA? Did I get the term right? CEO and director general. Director general is the term they like to use. Ah, well, there you I, go. I always love that director general. It's very as opposed to director it, specific. <laughs> Indeed, yes. So he had a lot of things to say, and some of it I think was quite interesting, very directed, almost like a subtweet to the to Boeing specifically, although he did not mention Boeing, though you may have had a better ear on this than I did since I was not there. But he said he's basically – they don't want to argue with the manufacturers, but what they're doing today simply isn't enough, and they're not going to hit these goals. They're not going to clean up their act with incremental change. Um, hydrogen, if it can be produced, is – great solution, but there's a lot of complexity. And basically what we're just seeing today from really specifically Boeing is incrementalism. Do you have anything to add to that? Did he give any more color? Specifically about that, not really, but his exasperation. And, you know, he is a very direct, outspoken person, and this is the sort of job that's perfect for him. He, do- he doesn't have to play nice anymore, nearly as much as he did when he ran an airline, because he's a lobbyist now rather than an operator. And he gets to sort of speak his mind a bit more, and he acknowledged that, and as do his comms team. Uh, so- he can speak his mind, and the price for the airplanes he's about to buy does not go up because he's no longer buying airplanes. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he does have to consider that if the price goes up, all of his member airlines might be mad at him. But yeah, his comment about we won't, they have to do more than incremental change was really pointed. And I think, unfortunately, we're no, no closer to that actually being a reality. I mean, we'll know in a few years if Airbus really does think it can make hydrogen happen from a sort of propulsion standpoint. And then there's the other question of, can we produce it in an environmentally friendly way, right? We need to get to green hydrogen. And right now, we're not really there. So there are a lot of questions about how we're going to get there. But yeah, I would agree with you that his comment about the incremental change was very much directed at Boeing. And that, you know, I tend to agree with you that they aren't making 
the big changes. Their goal is just, you know, make the engines run on SAFs and that'll be good. And that is good, but it's not enough. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if anything, it's become increasingly clear over the past, I would say even three, four months, and especially the last three, four weeks with the Airbus summit that we were at, and then I had AGM, where airlines are they're the ones that fly the planes. They're the ones that put their name on the planes in much larger letters than either manufacturer. And so airlines are going to be on the hook for all of the press that yeah. comes along with well, not meeting these goals. Here's the other thing to consider is a plane, you know, Airbus and Boeing both have orders through at least the middle of the decade, if not say 2028 right now on existing fleets, especially single aisle right? 737 MAX or yeah, 320 absolutely. Neo family. So planes that are going to be delivered five years from now and that are then going to fly for 25 to 30 years. Or 40 if you're Delta. You know, if you keep them up and keep doing the interiors, I don't mind that much. But those are planes that it's today's technology is going to be flying in 30 years. So when everybody keeps talking about, oh, well, you know, it's going to be more efficient and this and that, Except for all the planes that we know, you know, thousands of planes that we know are going to be sold and still flying at the time of this sort of deadline that are running on today's technology. So there's going to be some challenges in reaching it just from that perspective. And obviously it won't be all of them. And maybe the more aggressive sort of recycling or retiring of planes. We sort of saw that a little in the last year, although some of them are coming back. Thank you, Northern Pacific. (laughs) You know, it's... The efficiency challenges are very real and planes last a long time. Also, if you only, you know, operate planes for 10 years instead of 30, then the amount of material that needs to, you know, and energy that goes into building it rather than just the operational fuel burn has to be considered. So it's a very complex formula that, you know, I didn't pass that portion of college math. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's the moving pieces that it's going to, to take to line all of these things up to figure out. And I think one of the things that I don't know whether it was Willie Walsh or it was somebody else this week, it's not going to be just one. There is no answer. Right. It's going to be, you know, 15 to 20 different answers that get everything to the point where aviation is tenable in 2050, 2060. Yeah. And I don't want to sound like a Debbie Downer here. I know I do. So sorry. It is incredibly complex and we can't let perfect get in the way of done or good enough or anything like that. We absolutely need to start moving forward. I wish we could move faster. I wish, you know, that the money was there and the development was there. Then people started this 10 years ago instead of pretending it wasn't going to be a problem. So, but I am skeptical of the 2050 target, especially with where the industry is and what the airlines are saying about how sort of they're going to react. So we shall see. All right. Well, so we'll regroup here in 2050, yeah. and maybe you'll have your sandwich by then. Sweet. Wow. <laughs> Apparently, I'm not going to be that frequent a guest. But the other person who said thoughts on this, though, was outgoing, eventually, maybe-ish, president <laughs> of Emirates. We'll let him retire one day. Sir Tim. <laughs> yeah, he was on the CEO panel also. Richard Quest, the CNN anchor, hosted it and moderated it. And you know, he asked pretty direct questions. And at the end... He got to each of the five CEOs on the panel. It's like, what's the one thing that you specifically did that was significant during COVID-19 for your team? And Clark's comment was, I stuck around. Yeah. Uh, much to the, much to the last of everybody in the room. He's not. <laughs> and he had other, you know, smarter and better things to say as well. But that was his lead answer. So the room laughed quite, quite a little bit at that one. But Yeah. I don't know how much we were going to get into this, but Sir Tim Clark has definitely run out of 
I guess, platitudes for the industry, especially Boeing and Airbus. He had a lot of things to say. What specifically caught your attention? I think, you know, as we're talking about the we're not willing to settle for incremental uh, from Walsh, the, the equivalent comment from Tim was we have to hold the manufacturers to the fire and stop accepting that new aircraft development programs show up five years, eight years late and with products that don't meet the original design specs. So stop over-promising, be more realistic, and actually deliver something. Specifically with the 777X, they've been for quite a while now, not just at IATA AGM, but Tim Clark has been very specific in saying, if this aircraft does not meet the promised contractual obligations, we will not take these aircraft. Yeah, and there might be some he can't take because the Dash 8 model seems to be on the chopping block as the company tries to, you know, regroup and cut costs and make sure it's selling the things that people want. So Hey, they might even turn that thing into a freighter before it even <laughs> becomes delivered for passenger flights. Yeah, that's the other news. Bloomberg, Mary Schlegenstein popped that story uh, from the conference as well. So stuff is happening. I certainly respect his position of like, stop promising me this thing and then selling me crap or not crap, but a product that doesn't deliver on the promise, right? Like as an airline, you're spending many, many, many millions of dollars Billions. Yeah. I mean, per per aircraft is what I was going with, but like in the high tens of millions, certainly for a wide body. And you have to do the math of whether it's going to be profitable for your business. And that's based on the specifications offered in the route network and all of those things. And if it doesn't have the range or doesn't have the fuel efficiency that was promised, the math stops working, right? Like, okay, I can buy 10 of these and make money doing them at X load factor and Y routes. Well, if they're you know 10% less efficient than they were supposed to be or 2% less efficient than they were supposed to be, that can really screw up the finances. And it's yeah. not like airlines are great at you know financial management in the best of days. I guess one last question. What was the, the biggest takeaway you had this year in Boston? Next year in China. Now, that'll be fun. <laughs> Sorry, a little bit of a Passover joke there, I guess, <laughs> for those who get it. But it, despite the China objections to the environmental, the net zero plan, the organization did add Chinese as a national, as a official language of the organization. So I guess everything will now also be translated into Chinese. And they added that the AGM is going to be hosted by China Eastern in Shanghai. Somehow that's going to happen like a couple months after the Olympics. And we're all going to be able to attend, even though the Olympics are going to be very much not foreigner attended because of COVID concerns. So and okay. quarantine and everything else. Yeah. And, you know, that was that was another one where uh, Willie Walsh was like, listen, Chinese Eastern said they talked to the people and they promised it's going to work. We didn't talk to the government there, but they've given us their assurances that they think it can be done in person. So, All right. Well, I look forward to attempting to get a, a Chinese uh, business journalist visa. Yeah, journalist visa. You're a journalist, Jason. That's even worse. Good luck. Right, right. Oh, right. I, I have to wait on a separate extra long line on 10th Avenue for that. Yes. Before we leave the AGM, there was a comment. Last week, we talked about the formation of AHA. Is it AHA or AHA? Or does it not matter? AHA. 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 So the relaunched Express Jet. United Airlines owns, is it 49% of? Exactly. 49%. It's a minority stake. I feel like it's like 50% minus one share kind of thing. But yeah. Yeah. So they own just enough to not be in charge of it. And they want to get rid of it. So, I mean, my plan was to see what they would take for it. And we could then have 49%. But here's my question. uh, 
we had previously discussed a joint venture on the Alitalia brand, which at 290 million euros, no one bid for. But in order to bid on it, you have to be an oh. airline. Can we make the AHA? Can we do the express jet buyout as part of AHA and rename it Alitalia and have it fly out of Reno? I'm going to oh. call Scott Kirby and see what we can do. That'll look, that livery will look really nice on an E145. <laughs> I, I, what could possibly go wrong? As opposed to the AHA livery? I'm just saying. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying. It's, it's not particularly impressive to me, but what do I get? Well, we'll see. We'll see uh, what we'll they do. ITA later. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to ITA later. But I do want to stick with the AHA for a minute because we had a listener write in about AHA last episode. And he made a really good and interesting point that if you look at where they're launching and when they're launching, it seems like they're positioning themselves for a ski, you know, a, a ski season airline. What they do when ski season's over is is anyone's guess. But this particular listener also pointed out the fact that how are you going to fit skis inside of an E-145? See, I, I don't think it's a ski airline. I yeah. think if they happen to just be pulling people from small towns out west into Reno. And I know that they're skiing around Reno in wintertime. That's going to be some of what people want to do. But yeah, I actually don't know if, I th- how skis fit in 145. Certainly not a it, lot of them. Not No, not a lot of them. So I, I thought that was interesting. I don't have any – I didn't really research whether or not the whole skiing thing would work. But I thought it was something interesting to think about if – I mean, really, even if they're not trying to position themselves as a, a skiing airline, if enough people bring skis on a particular flight, there's going to be problems. Yeah. Well, they do mention in their baggage page that snow skis sta- – Nope. Standard bag fees apply. Mm, they don't even right. charge Which, extra for snow skis. Wow. Yeah, and you can put a, your put our boots in the same bag with them. Yeah. And poles. Water skis, on the other hand, those are an extra hundred bucks a pop. I mean, I, the, I sta- the standard fee doesn't mean free. So let's be clear on <laughs> no, that. It's, it's thirty dollars yeah. for the first bag and fifty for the second. Yeah, not terrible. All right, let's leave. Wait, no, we can't leave the AGM entirely. I, I, mm, I, I would be remorseful, Shepard. <laughs> I would be remiss oh, if the, the German Shepherd. That's we right. Have to talk about the German Shepherd. At the so, very end of the second there day, there was like I was at literally right as the last press conference finished up. I went upstairs to get my suitcase out of the media room where I'd left it because I had to check out of my room. And as we came to the top of the stairs, a bunch of us noticed a German Shepherd just walking around, like no tags, no vest, no nothing. Had a leash on or a collar on, so it was. And was you know clean and friendly and whatever, so it was clear he sort he sort of knew what he was doing, but just randomly roaming. So I called him over, I pet him a little bit, and he wandered off and did a couple laps around the sort of the mezzanine level because there's the open space in the middle that he could look down into. And then we were like, okay, well, does anyone know what this dog's doing? And everybody's looking at each other like, is this yours? Is this yours? And no one had any idea, so we all just sort of eventually moved on. I went into the room, grabbed my stuff. By the time I got out and came back. I saw the dog again at the top of the stairs again, and this time with a guy with a leash uh, over his shoulder. And I was Ooh. like, oh, does have an owner. That's great. Being a little passive aggressive, because also like who lets a dog run around a hotel lobby like that, but or hotel conference center like that. But he's like, oh, yeah, this is he's, he's like at home here. He's been coming to the hotel with me for three or more years. So he knows his way around. He's friendly. It's fine. I'm oh. sure the hotel loves that. Right, well, okay. I mean. If you've got a guest who's been paying for rooms for three years, probably okay. The guy might have been an employee for all I know. But there was, in fact, an owner to the German Shepherd. Uh, It was acknowledged that he was running free on purpose. 
It was strange. It, he was beautiful. Mm. It was so he. Know. The dog wasn't running around looking for Scott Kirby to get forty nine percent of a ha. Then, I mean, who, you, we don't who know. Who can that. say? We don't know anything. That. Anything's possible. Scott Kirby said, "Make an offer. Maybe a box of milk bones is enough." It might just be. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we talked about the German Shepherd. We didn't forget. So let's take a quick break and then we'll come back. We'll talk about countries and airlines that are rolling out vaccine mandates. We have to talk about ITA again. It's in our contract. And spoiler alert, none of us are going to space or setting foot on a space jet anytime soon. We will be right back. Welcome back. It is now time for what seems to be a regularly occurring segment of the podcast where we detail what airlines and countries have rolled out additional or revised vaccine mandates. And I guess we'll start with the countries that are doing this. And we've got Canada issued a, I don't want to call it a blanket mandate, but it's pretty far reaching. And this would it was- be, Would it be a quilt today. or comforter mandate for being further north? For warmth, uh, it's, it's a, scarf, it's a, it's a, a toque mandate. mandate. Okay. Um. Well, this one applies to I think everyone over the age of eighteen doing pretty much anything in Canada. If you want to get on a train or a plane or, or pretty much any mode of transportation, you need to. I don't know how this will work, especially with trains, but you will need to prove vaccination status when flying within Canada, and that means Air Canada, WestJet. Swoop, Flare, any other airlines. But if you are flying into or throughout Canada, you will need to be vaccinated. The point you made there is it's into or through or out of. So it's going to apply to all, all the foreign carriers that operate there as well. Yep. 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 Um, yeah. That's, and like you said, trains, I think I would assume buses also, like any common carrier sort of, sort of service. And cruises, which I think is an interesting point for- The governor of Florida can't sue Canada, so, you know. That was where I was eloquently trying to lead myself to. I am not subtle. No. It'll be interesting to see what happens and how Canadian characters, characters, carriers react. I assume they will just do it one day and it will be fine. There you go. It is Canada. Yes. Let's go very far from Canada and talk about Air New Zealand's, I won't call it a mandate, but their decision and how that's going to work. They've decided to move ahead with that. I think it's what well, it's all passengers for that are of age to be vaccinated. And then Qantas is in the process of deciding as well. It seems like it's a done deal that something is going to, to be put into place. They're just trying to decide what it is exactly. Which is probably fine because I, I don't think Qantas really has any international flights right now anyway, except for New Zealand. So they have some time to figure it out. Is is the bubble flights even operating? I thought those were – I don't think so. I think those are suspended. So I, I don't think they have any international flights right now. Yeah, there was some stuff like Fiji or something where they were basically the only connection that, that people could get. But is still operating or supposed to come back. But yeah, I, mean, I certainly don't fault the countries that have managed to, relatively speaking, keep their caseloads very, very low – from trying to continue to do that. I mean, I think the interesting ones are slightly more interesting. Malaysia, AirAsia Malaysia has just said for all domestic and international flights, they're going to require vaccination. 
That'll be interesting with AirAsia since I'm guessing a lot of people probably don't book directly with AirAsia or are through AirAsia at all. They probably really? Local. Wouldn't you think some larger degree of passengers probably book locally through like a booking agent or something for AirAsia? I'm not sure. I but would I feel like I would have thought because they try to limit distribution costs that they just do everything direct. I don't know. We'll have to check on this, but I feel like a lot of people might be booking indirectly through like local travel agencies. I, I don't know, but that's either way. I, that that's I just be- I just want to point out something. We, we're on episode one hundred and thirty-two, and I I believe, and, and I'm not going to go back through all the episodes. So I'm just going to stick with this. I believe this is the first time Jason has ever said that he is going to research something himself. Well, this this is an easy one to check. So oh well, okay. Wait, are we actually we think he actually is going to do it or just say it? Well, I mean, we have him on tape, and uh, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> Fake news. I didn't say that. Digitally yeah. modified. Uh, <laughs> right. Anyways. No, I think that was an interesting one. Who, there was one other, wasn't there, that came up? Well, Southwest is now uh, right. going you know, full into it. And American as well. I, I guess we didn't talk about them last week. Where American Airlines basically blamed the federal, didn't say the text of the statement and the tone of the statement that they put out was basically blaming the federal government for forcing them to do this. Yeah, uh, so was the the statement from Southwest didn't, but I think there's a video tra- or like an internal video maybe from Gary Kelly where he was similar in tone. So um, and, and pretty super, yeah, yeah. Um, and Delta still hasn't mandated it. They yeah, Delta seems content with its punitive measures against those who don't choose not to get vaccinated. But at the end of the day, Delta's a federal contractor, so it doesn't matter anyway. They're going to have to f- do it just like American and Southwest are. Yeah, that, that'll be interesting to see what they, I don't even say decide to do, but how they, how they decide to roll. Yeah, how they decide to roll it out. And then uh, the last thing on this is that United, which was one of the the first, if not one of the first, to mandate vaccination for all of their their staff. They actually fired fewer people. That number keeps being revised downward because after unvaccinated or staff who hadn't said anything about being vaccinated began the process of being let go, uh, they said, no, 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 but just wait, hold on a second. Here's my card. And I think the number, Seth, you had the, the latest figure, yeah, but it below, was down it's around below 300. It's, it's below 300 now. It's in the 200s, okay. I think. There, also remember with United, there are a couple thousand employees that are currently in limbo around a medical or religious exemption. They've applied for or requested the exemption. There's a lawsuit pending as to whether how the exemption is being handled. And especially because right now United has said those who are on exemption aren't getting separated from the company, but they also have to take medical leave while the company figures out how to safely integrate them into the workplace. So they're sort of on unpaid leave, but not fired yet, which is, I guess if it drags on long enough, they basically just hope that they'll quit because they need money. um, And that solves the problem a different way. Am I being too cynical there? I don't think you're being too cynical. Maybe the right amount of cynical. Historically speaking, I think the right amount of cynical. Let's talk once again, fulfilling our contractual duties to talk about airlines that won't die or can't die. (laughs) ITA, which is the new Italian carrier that is not yet Alitalia because Alitalia is still Alitalia, but it will soon be Alitalia eventually. Or I guess I'll have to eat something some sort of pasta dishes as penance. 
Oh no! I know. What it's, kind I'm of punishment is that? Set, I'm setting myself up for. Yeah, terrible, if you want to delegate punishment. this punishment to me, that that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Don't throw me in the briar patch. What the? But they have purchased or have said they intend to purchase lease uh, a. It's a mix. It's a some purchase from Airbus acquired. and some leasing. It, it's a hodgepodge. Twenty-eight Airbus aircraft. 10 wide-body uh, A330neos, 11 A320neo family aircraft, and then seven, which I think is the most exciting, seven A220s. So I think that's the direct order. There's a second right. half of the order that is the leases that brings those fleet size up to something actually useful. Yeah. So ITA directly from Airbus is taking 28 new aircraft, 10 A330neo, 7 A220, 11 A320neo family aircraft. So we don't know the breakdown, but they've also are taking from a mix of lessors, primarily ALC, 31 additional aircraft, including A220s, A320s, 321neos, and also A350s that are not coming from ALC. So they're coming from somewhere else. So it's a wide array of a lot of aircraft the first of which is coming the first quarter of next year. And ITA says by the end of 2025, 70% of its fleet will be renewed. So there you go. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Lot, so it's some a right. A lot of Airbus there. No Boeing. Yeah. It, it's completely Airbus. So a lot of those aircraft coming directly from Airbus, but even more are coming from leasing companies, which find themselves overstocked with aircraft, let's say. Overstocked. I like that. I like I like thinking about you know uh, an A three fifty is something that is just you have on the shelf. Yeah, but to start, ITA will be launching services to JFK with a regular old Alitalia A three thirty CO. I guess you would call it just using an Alitalia aircraft. So I'm assuming the livery will not change. So it will be operated by ITA, but everything on the outside and probably inside will say Alitalia. Unless, you know, the risk there, of course, is that someone else actually buys the brand and then ITA can't use it, but no one actually expects that to happen. So. Yeah. What, what would happen in that circumstance? Would they have to overnight paint the aircraft or cover up the Alitalia branding in order to operate the next day's flight or pay some sort of fine or licensing? Or come, up, come up with a licensing agreement. Yeah. I mean, and so I could almost see another airline like deciding – yeah, for not at 290 million euro, but like if you bring the price right. down a little bit, like could we do this and really screw with a competitor? Uh, it would be great if Eddie had did that for so many reasons. Or Ryanair. <laughs> I mean, that's honestly the only airline I could see doing it. Just like just for funsies? Yeah. Um, but also, not at nearly 300 million. Right. But, but the risk, of course, in doing that is you've now pissed off the Italian government and Ryanair does a lot of flying within Italy. And two from Italy. So that the risk of pissing off a government that you really need to like be nice to you down the line, I think yeah, it's probably the, not worth the, it. The cost-benefit analysis does not work out in favor of doing it for giggles. Right. But a guy can dream. Well, you know. It depends on how much they want to charge because we could giggle a lot. We need to do the Expeshtet thing to get the AOC. Then we yeah. can talk about, uh, about what we're going to do here. So the space jet – MRJ, it's the Mitsubishi. I, I like your deep sigh going into this topic because it's yeah, completely I, the right tone. You know, I try to, you know, I try to ease yeah. into things. Whatever it's called, it's not flying for at least a couple of years. Seth, you pulled this out of a DOT it, filing. A, a, a filing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in this the is, US, so. 
this is not that surprising in that the company no. said last summer, like, this development isn't happening, we're putting the planes away. But I don't think anyone really specified how long it would be for. And in today, when it happened last week, but it finally made the filing, the public filings today, there was some conversation about, hey, we're trying, you know, from the FAA basically saying, we sent an email to someone asking if you still need this exemption to keep being able to test planes that, you know, aren't legal to fly. And the email bounced, what's going on? And the person responding said, that guy no longer works here. I've taken over the role. We do not expect them to fly for at least three more years. It's in storage. Thank you. Goodbye. We no longer require this exemption. So there's going to be no additional test data collected for at least three years. Huh. So I guess we can safely say at this point that the Mitsubishi space jet MRJ is never going to happen because if the aircraft was unappealing to airlines now, it's certainly not going to be any more appealing to anyone in three, at least three years. I mean, maybe they're really hoping that the scope clause goes away within the next, you know, two decades. You say that jokingly, but that was their business plan. The whole I know, time. I know. Which <laughs> at everyone this point, told it doesn't matter if the scope clause goes away because the plane's a dog. It doesn't have the efficiency. It doesn't have. It's running right. Like there's there's new ever, Maybe it'll fly on hydrogen. Did they ever get one out of the hangar in full ANA livery? I remember years ago what? I saw one in the hangar that had the tail of an ANA livery. But did they ever get one out in full livery? Yeah, they had one, and they sent it to one of the, whatever air show was that year, Paris or, or Farnborough. But yeah, so. Let's leave them in the hangar and, and move and go on. go into an even more depressing space-related story? Space-related uh, story? I don't no, think we were, we're going to go there, we're, but now we're, that we're you gonna, mentioned it. That, okay, if Jason wants to talk about it. Okay, fine. I'll do it. The Boeing, what is it, Starliner is junk, basically, at this point. And, okay, maybe not junk, but it's doing very, very poorly to the point where NASA has pulled the astronauts assigned to the first crewed mission of the Boeing Starliner – off of it and in what should be a very, very clear message to Boeing has reassigned those astronauts to SpaceX Dragon on Crew 5, which will happen sometime in 2022, basically saying that that flight won't happen at least until fall 2022. So they're not expecting a crewed mission of Boeing Starliner until at least then. And basically said they would prefer their astronauts to actually be flying and doing things and getting experience which they are not getting on the Boeing Starliner. And I think that might be the first time we've gone into space on this podcast. We've come very close, depending on how you want to talk about space. But yeah, that, definitely the, the first time we've talked about astronaut. Yeah. We, we, I don't think we need a Cayman line debate here. Uh, no, but. <laughs> we don't. And I'm leaving it there. If, if, if you want that debate, you can send us an email. But yeah, so an interesting development and we'll see what ends up happening. Taking all bets on what gets delivered first, the or what goes into space or what gets delivered with passengers first, the 777X or the Starliner? Because at this point, it's a, a real hot race. I mean, I've got money on the 777X going into space. Oh, yeah. hydrogen powered, right? Yeah, exactly. Quickly before we go, Jet2 says... I want more Airbus right after purchasing a whole bunch of Airbus for the first time. BA is bringing back its A380s earlier than planned thanks to the relaxing of US travel rules. They're going to go to LAX, they're going to go to Miami, and they're also going to go to Dubai, which isn't in the US, but 
they included that in the list anyway. Great. Dubai needs more A380s. It does. And last but certainly not least, there was a uh, Qantas repatriation flight that collected Australian citizens that were scattered throughout South America and flew from Buenos Aires to Darwin, Australia, which is the location of the uh, the Howard Springs supervised quarantine location, which sounds very exciting. But that was Qantas's longest ever, and, and I will use the correct phrasing here, longest ever commercial passenger flight. Okay. So it was shorter than the Project Sunrise test flights, but it's longer than the Perth-London flight that they normally operate. So this was the longest Qantas flight you could ever buy a ticket on, uh, or longest nonstop Qantas flight, because I mean, you go back long enough and Qantas operated some impressively long 12 hoppers. Yeah. And I think there's a bunch of news this morning actually saying that Qantas is is still very much interested in in Project Sunrise. They're going to go Mm -hmm. ahead and eventually order those aircraft along with renewing its domestic fleet. So Qantas has a a lot of things planned. They've been busy during their not so busy time preparing for the future. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when all of that is time to actually put a plan into action. Hopefully sooner rather than later, because uh, I think that would be a fun trip to take when they eventually get Project Sunrise going. So we'll we'll wait on that. But if you want more info about the uh, QF-14, the, the Buenos Aires Darwin flight, we did a quick blog post on, on some of the numbers and how it all works with the ETOPS routing and everything like that. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes and you can check that out. Seth Miller, thank you so much for joining us and getting one step closer to a sandwich. Always appreciate you stopping by and thanks for sticking around for the whole show today. My, uh, this my has pleasure been, and thanks for letting yeah. me go to space with you. Hey, anytime. Or drag you along. <laughs> yeah, there you go. This has been episode 132 of Avtalk. I am Ian Pechnik here as always with... Jason Rabinowitz, thanks for listening and thanks for joining Seth. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.